Welcome to First Reading, the Old Testament lectionary podcast for preachers, teachers, and other assorted creatures. I'm Tim McNinch. And I'm Rachel Wren. Today we are looking at Exodus 12, verses 1 to 14, which is part of the Passover story and the first reading for September 6, 2020. Tim, you are up this week. Uh, What do you want to say about this kind of creepy text? (laughs) Yeah, you're right. It is a bit creepy with the slaughter of the firstborn across Egypt and the Israelites huddled in their homes with lamb's blood splattered on the doorposts. Mm -hmm. Hmm. So uh, just to start out here, I I can't do a podcast on this story without telling you a little bit of my childhood experience with it. Okay. So so I grew up in a kind of eccentric uh, Christian community that uh, really emphasized the Jewish roots of our faith. And so we celebrated Passover each year as part of our family's holiday rituals. Huh. And uh, part of the, the Passover Seder is reciting passages of Scripture from the Exodus story, and, and this passage is one of those. And there was a time when I was, oh, I must have been like six or seven years old, and my dad had just finished reading this passage And my parents looked over at me and noticed that all of the color had drained from my face. And they said, Tim, what's what's going on? Are you all right? And I said, well, yeah, we're we're celebrating this story tonight, right? And I said, yeah. And I said, we've got all the, the food that it says to have here on the table. Yeah, that's right. I said, but I'm the firstborn in our family and there's no blood on our doorposts. Uh, so they they explained uh, what it means to remember the story and not to be reliving it. Oh, that's so good! Oh my gosh, did you? So so did did doing an episode on this text work through some old uh, past demons for you, Tim? Yes, I'm I'm still working it out, but I'm I'm feeling good. All right. So what do you what have you worked through? What do you have to to offer preachers for this text? All right. Well, I I do have to say, as much as I love this story. It's not actually that easy of a text to preach. But here's a few thoughts that I have. The first thing that I notice in this particular part of the story is just the level of detail in the instructions that are given for this ceremonial meal. Mm. It sounds much more like something from Leviticus than something from Exodus. Sort of like the the details for the temple sacrifices. Yeah. And that makes me ask, well, why? Why are these details here? Why would it matter whether the lamb is roasted or boiled? Why would it matter whether the side salad is sweet or bitter? Why would it matter whether the bread is flat or puffy? Mm, yeah. What, why would it matter? Oh, I was hoping you were going to answer that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know exactly, but I think that at least part of the point here is to set up this moment as not just a one-off sort of ad hoc meal, but as an ordered remembrance, one that can be replicated in many of its details annually by members of the community wherever they may be scattered. So prescribing the details means that, that families wherever and whenever through time can join up to this moment and participate in it as if they were there themselves receiving God's liberation. In fact, that's exactly part of the modern Passover or Pesach liturgy. That refrain, we were there, we were there. Mm -hmm. 
so so the details lend themselves to an experience of community and a solidarity and participation in this redemption story. Mm, yeah, that's that's a really a beautiful way to to read kind of some picky what might seem otherwise as picky details of a, a ceremony. And I I, I don't want to jump to the Christian tradition too quickly, but it I can't help but think about our Eucharist celebrations, especially in this moment where so few of us are getting to do that right now, that those details um, become more meaningful because they are um, such a part of that ritual that happens. It's so ingrained. Yeah, I, I've, I've uh, often thought of the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, and a story like a ritual like this Passover Seder as kind of... Um, they're kind of like time machines or, or a mm. portal into another dimension that when you participate in those rituals, you're transported beyond sort of the temporal and spatial limitations that we have to participate at, uh, at a great feast mm. where all of our um, ancestors and the faith are seated and where we're with, uh, with the Eucharist, we're sitting there with Jesus himself. Yeah. And and so there's there's that dynamic going on in uh, when when Jewish folks participate in this story, there's a sense of not as if we were there, but we are there, mm. we are participating, we are being liberated. Mm. So, what other pitfalls or angles would you want to highlight in this passage? Well, the big preaching pitfall here, I would say, would be making light of the loss of life that's portrayed in the story. Yeah. I mean, in one sense, the Passover followed by the parting of the Red Sea, etc. It's a big victory story for God and for the Israelites. But in another way, it's a painful story of great loss. And I guess that's actually a helpful aspect of the creepiness factor in this story. It, it solemnizes the pain and loss that's embedded in this story of liberation. It makes it a heavy story rather than a glibly triumphant one. Mm -hmm. a, a good example that came to mind for me last week, our church musician took the opening hymn in our service, which was the cheery, uh, we gather together to ask the Lord's blessing. And in light of the weight of current events, uh, without saying anything about it, she changed the tune and accompaniment from its traditional major key into a minor key. Oh. Same words, same melody, but now the song had kind of a solemn, reverent, a bit sad feel to it. Wow. And I think preaching can do the same thing with words. This is a text to preach with solemnity, not triumphalism. I think that's really beautiful, especially because there is uh, an aspect to this story we often lose in thinking of the Israelites versus the Egyptians. We think of that as ancient of course, Egyptians are still around today, and they are on the continent of Africa. And so to talk about the loss of Egyptian life is to talk about the loss of African life. And that is something to be approached with solemnity. Yeah. Well, the other helpful preaching angle here, I would say, is the, the justice angle embedded in the story. Um, it is doubtful whether this actually happened historically, or at least in the way that's portrayed in the book of Exodus. Mm. But either way, the story enshrines the very true idea that God is active in caring for the oppressed and works on their behalf against their oppressors, mm. which is what I think is the symbolism of the plague against the firstborn here. 
Pharaoh had fooled himself into thinking that he had absolute control over his people and over his slaves. But the truth is that all life belongs only to God. And, and that, that reality was often acknowledged in many ancient Near Eastern cultures, including Israelite, by offering the firstborn of livestock as a sacrifice to the gods, as a statement that reproduction is the business of the gods. The Bible also suggests that the Israelites acknowledged this for human life as well by offering an animal sacrifice on behalf of their own firstborn children. So when God kills the firstborn of all Egypt, human and animal both, it's a gory statement to Pharaoh that all life belongs to God, that Pharaoh can't presume to control or to own the lives of the Israelites. And so um, even with all of the ways that that is still problematic, this passage serves as a warning to those in power that a day of reckoning will come for those who are hard-hearted towards the vulnerable and presume that their own position and privilege is their own to exploit. And it comes across as a message of hope for the powerless that they have an advocate who hears the cry of the poor. Well, thanks, Tim. I think that that was really great, especially the this idea of preaching this not with triumphalism, but with a recognition of all that this story entails. Um, I think it would be a really powerful sermon to hear. So thanks for that. Sure. Preachers, we commend this story into your capable hands. And as we do that, we also commend to you the First Reading Podcast website. Perhaps share it on social media. Perhaps uh, give it to your elderly grandmother who's always wanted to know more about the Bible. Or just subscribe and get new episodes as soon as they come up. Until next time, I'm Rachel Wren. And I'm Tim McNinch. Blessings to you, preachers, and to all of you other creatures. Thanks for listening.